Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they might have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Revelation 22, verse 14 and 15. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us ears to truly hear your word this morning. That you would give us hearts to receive your word, and that you would bless my preaching to be clear and useful to your purposes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's a, I think, sometimes surprising fact and feature of the Bible that God communicates curses as well as blessings. His word has both a law that condemns as well as a gospel that sets us free. And to be clear, everything that God does and has ever done and ever will do is good and just and holy and righteous because that's his character. Everything he does is good. And that includes giving just punishment and curse to what is wicked. Revelation 22, these verses I just read, along with many other passages in the New Testament, um, give us a reminder of this. And it's needed because... I experience in my own heart and mind that um, given the magnitude of the gospel, there's just the sheer scope of it that God himself took on flesh, that God himself, the son of God himself, died in our place and has paid the cost for all the sins of the whole world and set you and I free from the curse of sin and death forever. That's the good news. And it's so big that as we receive it, because we are still because of our fallen and continued broken state intellectually and spiritually, I find in myself this tendency to sort of make that good news more monochrome, more watered down into just the sort of squishy, kind of wishy-washy, like, well, God just makes everything better at the end. And actually reduces the strong message of the gospel to a squishier one, a cheap grace, as Bonhoeffer calls it. And against this... um, mistaken reception of the size of the gospel. The scriptures over and over again give us warnings, especially against the capital sins, the, um, the high-handed sins. We get these lists in, in almost every book of the New Testament. Sins which I think are, we are so sternly reminded about, like that list I just read. Because the hardness of heart with which one would do one of those sins is a kind of hardness which wouldn't seek repentance after. Right? I'm sure you've encountered these sort of hypotheticals, like, what if Hitler repented on his deathbed? You know, would, could he be forgiven? And at the level of could, yes, the, the, the grace of God is large enough for any sinner. But it's a sort of um, fruitless, maybe unreal hypothetical, because the kind of hardness of heart it takes to do those sins is the kind of hardness that doesn't want to repent. Hitler, I believe, had no impulse towards repentance any longer. It is the case that murderers, that's one of the sins listed, have repented. St. Paul was was one such. They've repented and come to Christ and become Christians. There are many such cases in church history. It is the case that 
the sexually immoral have repented and become Christians. St. Augustine, one of the great saints of the church, is such a case. But there are far fewer examples. They're not, no, they're not, it's not a zero set. But there are much fewer examples of Christians, those who profess Christ, who participate in the church, doing those sins and then repenting after. Because the hardening of the heart makes repentance very difficult. So I want to always, every Sunday, just speak what the word itself speaks. And in this case, it's an unpacking of these, this list of sins that I mentioned right here in the last paragraph of the Bible. But in order, before unpacking those, I need to just explain the vision because it comes at, Revelation comes very fast in the reading of it. We have a compound vision of heaven, of paradise, eternity with God. And, and God weaves together the Holy Spirit through these images from his saving history into one image spoken through John's lips. And it's an image that weaves together. We heard the tree of life, right? The tree of life that stood in the garden in Eden in Genesis. That tree of life forefigured. It's an image of a restored Eden, but it's also an image of a city, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth. Both images are right there in the scripture, right? They might have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Both images together, a picture of eternity with God, where there is neither sin nor sighing nor weeping. And then using that imagery of the city, and of course all the cities by definition back then, to be a city, you had a wall around it in the ancient world. And so then there's this description of those who are outside the city, who are not participant in the life of God, who do not have his nearer presence, who are not enjoying paradise. And this is a, a, a figural picture of what the same place that Jesus describes as outer darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth, outside the city gates, outside the city walls. And we have listed the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. The dogs there is for people who lived like dogs. And the picture here is not a cute domestic dog. It's one of those wild rabid dogs that you see running the streets in the developing world. For those who especially indulged unrepentedly in the worst sins. So sorcery, at first, at first brush it might seem, well, that's an ancient world sin. But sorcery in the ancient world, the, the word here in Greek means trying to use potions to manipulate and control the behavior of others for your own gain. This was very widespread in the ancient world. We don't use potions anymore, but if you sub in potions media, right, we still have this wicked impulse to control and manipulate others for personal gain. It's still a capital sin. Also, sorcery involved um, acquiring poisons to try and hurt others. We still have this today, too. We just give them different names, Plan B or methamphetamine. Sexual immorality, we're on the cusp in a couple of days of what our culture is increasingly celebrating with a louder and louder voice, as they call it, Pride Month. Actually having pride in what the scripture calls the invention of evil. This is a grave sin. Unless we think it's just on one side of the cultural divide, um, independent of sexual identity or any of these things, it's still the case that every year there are 500,000 sexual assaults in this country. Sexual immorality is rampant. Murderers. The news this week and last has reminded us of the grievousness of this sin. 
to those who've been sinned against in any of these ways, there's actually also comfort in knowing that God is not, he's not proclaiming a squishy gospel of just fudging to make everything right. That wickedness is going to be held to strict account and there will be justice when he comes again. The last list, there's idolaters. uh, And then the last in the list is everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And I believe this is the Spirit speaking specifically to us who are in the church, Christians. Because we have the liability of being the most false of all mankind, who claim to know the truth, who profess Christ with our lips. And so if our actions radically betray that, what a terrible falsehood. This curse of those who love and practice falsehood is a double curse to pastors who would claim to lead the people of God and preach the gospel of Christ and be betraying it in their actions. This is all heavy stuff, but the Bible brings is honest about what is already heavy in our fallen existence in the world. It's supposed to be heavy so that we might heed the warning and flee from these sins. And also that fleeing from sin, we would flee with even greater intensity and zeal towards the blessing that's promised. Because there's never a chapter, pretty sure about this, but I'll go back and check. I don't, there's never a chapter that offers cursing that doesn't also offer blessing as a two-way, a choice. And the blessing here in this Revelation passage is the beginning. Blessed are those who wash their robes. It's a cryptic figure, but we've seen robes occur already in Revelation as a figure for deeds done in this life. And we see the sort of most um, joyful saints in heaven that their robes are the robes of their righteous deeds. The fair white linen in an earlier chapter in Revelation. But here I love this. Blessed are those who wash their robes. If robes are deeds, washing is repentance. Right? Washing is, as it says in Isaiah prophesied, that we might wash our lives, our deeds, which is what's what makes up our lives, in the blood of Christ. And here there's a sort of play on the coloring of, of course, if you're washing in blood, it would be red, but instead we come out white, pure and innocent as he is. The washing of repentance. Repentance isn't just a theme in the church for Lent. St. Benedict, one of my favorite Christians, says that the earnest Christian, in a way, should be living in a continual Lent. That repentance is always a part of the Christian life. The washing of the robes. And not just for the sins, the explicitly wicked deeds that we fall into. Absolutely we should repent of those. But even all of our good deeds are tainted by our sinful hearts and sinful thoughts and sinful words. And to take even every day and wash it in the blood of Jesus with repentance. It's why the prayer book invites us to say a prayer of confession every day which wasn't an invention of the church. The Lord Jesus gave us, to that, gave us that when the disciples said, teach us how to pray. And what does he weave in there? When you pray, pray, forgive us our trespasses. Every day, we're washing our robes. Lord, forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our trespasses. Cleansed by the blood of Christ that he freely shed for all of us, that we might have the right to the tree of life, that we might be nourished by himself forever. And enjoy the security and joy of living within his kingdom forever and ever. The new Jerusalem. Amen.